I think it's going to be key for the future and the children, you know, moving on into their careers as adults, it's going to be key that they really are able to reconcile difference and to see from a different perspective. So I think inclusion diversity is is really important in schools. Welcome to The Digest, the podcast where we get real about diversity and inclusion on the ground, looking at the stories and the journeys of activists and allies in the DNI space globally. My name's Helen Maguire. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Diversely, and I'll be talking to all sorts of characters from around the world about what they're doing in the DNI space and their journey to get there. And this episode of the podcast is a little bit different. We're not focusing on a traditional workplace, let's say. We're looking this week at education. So we'll be speaking to Lizzie Varley. Lizzie is an education advisor in safeguarding inclusion and well-being at the Cognita School Group, specifically across the Middle East. And Lizzie's journey into this space is an absolutely fascinating one. And I think you'll hear um, just how impactful a lot of this work now is with kids, um, with diverse needs, and um, how it's hopefully going to make the world a much better place in the future. So uh, let's get into it. Lizzie, hello. You're actually in the same city as me, so we could have done this face-to-face, but we're not, (laughs) for whatever (laughs) reason. But welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Most, most welcome. And um, I suppose just as a little bit of background, Lizzie and I know each other because uh, my kids go to the same school that she works at, or at least the same uh, holding group. And I've been pretty fascinated by the way in which you guys have, I guess, dealt with inclusion for pupils at the school. As many of you will know, I'm out in Dubai. It always comes as a bit of a surprise when people go over and above on the sort of diversity and inclusion frontier for many reasons. So I want wanted to, to chat to Lizzie about how it works in the schooling system, because obviously when we start with this basis, it uh, bodes very well for the future. So Lizzie, first of all, perhaps you could just quickly introduce yourself and what your role is at Cognita. So my name is Lizzie Varley. My role at Cognita is education advisor, specifically looking at inclusion, well-being and safeguarding. I've been in Dubai for 10 years. I'm a mother of two children in year two and year four. And I also have worked, um, so I've worked in education since I've been here. I worked in the secondary at Jess Ranches um, and then moved into primary, head of inclusion, and then worked my way up. And I was head of primary, leaving uh, Horizon English School in the summer to join Cognita, who uh, acquired our school a couple of years ago. And I know from our previous conversations that this isn't the first time that you've worked, I guess, in the inclusion space. Obviously, you're you're British, as I am. Could you just track us back a little bit to, you know, your experiences back in the UK? And I suppose what led you into this space in general? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I was um, I was reflecting on this um, actually when I had an interview for the current role that I'm in now on how I've kind of shaped, I suppose, where how my career has kind of gone and actually what shapes me probably from a young child or from a, from a young uh, person. So I kind of grew up in a family that were all kind of involved with edu- in education. My mother was a uh, teacher um, and she went in and moved, moved into the local authority and to work with a refugee team. So she was responsible for kind of overseeing the education of um, asylum seekers and refugees as they came into, into North London where we lived. My stepfather is a community police officer and worked within schools to support young adults, I suppose, to 
support them not getting into gangs and looking at drug use and, and things like that. And my father was a exec- executive principal and worked in deprived areas of London where he was where he brought up was brought up. And my stepmother was also a Senko and worked with uh, children with additional needs. So I think as I grew up, I was surrounded by people that who really valued diversity, who valued inclusion, who wanted everyone to have kind of equal access to education. And I didn't really think much of it as I was, I just grew up within that. And then when I went into, I did a chemistry degree and then graduated and thought, you know what, as much as my parents always told me, don't go into teaching, don't go into (laughs) education. Actually, I think that was, it was my calling really, I suppose, as it was for them. So yeah, I went into education um, originally as a science teacher, chemistry, A-level GCSE, but very quickly kind of went into um, personal social, social health education and then worked in a really deprived area of Doncaster on an estate with the uh, 3,000 children where kind of fourth generation unemployed and I ended up having a um, a tutor group of 16 year 10s who went in the mainstream mainly because of behavior challenges and they did three days kind of work experience I used to go and support them with outside of school but two days in school doing the English and maths GCSE and what I found was really interesting from that group where they were all, all of them had some kind of additional needs, whether that was a learning difficulty or it was a behavior, social, emotional challenge, maybe because it was a trauma that they'd witnessed. Mm. And it, it kind of, I became really fascinated with the special needs and uh, ensuring that, and I think for those children, if they had had the right provision from a, a lot younger age and the right support, that maybe they wouldn't have ended up in this situation yeah. where they actually couldn't attend mainstream. So yeah. I um, ended up training to be a Senko and um, and I always kind of worked in inclusive, highly inclusive schools in the UK. And then when I moved out to Dubai, it's, it was very, very different. It was a big culture shock for me at first where inclusion wasn't necessarily... I don't think necessarily all schools saw the value of it. It was very, yeah. very different moving into the private can I, sector. Can I, before we kind of move into that space, because I want to break down a few things that you've said here, because your, you know, your background in your childhood, I know it might seem completely typical to you, but yeah. it's not everybody's experience. You know, I, for example, grew up in a, in a household where things like, I don't know, drugs or disability or or those types of things, let's say challenges that, that some other kids or families might face were not day to day and were not really discussed. You know, you sort of read about them in the Daily Mail or whatever, but they were very kind of at arm's length, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I'm presuming in your household, it would have been quite different. What were some of the experiences that, you know, your parents, um, step parents brought into the house? Was it discussed? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I remember very vividly one day coming home from school. I think it was like 14. I, I already had an obsession for having tea, tea and biscuits when I got home from school. I made a cup of tea and I went to sit down to watch something on the TV and then went to put my tea down and the coffee table's gone. And I remember thinking, I didn't think, oh, someone's burgled our house, but I knew exactly what happened. My mum had taken another item of our furniture to give to another family who had nothing. Because the children that she worked with um, and their families had lived kind of lived in accommodation where... You know, they had just such little furniture, just, they, you know, clothing. We were always giving things to these families. My mum was always taking something from our house to give to them. Mm. So she talked, you know, regularly about the children, the families that she um, that she was working with. And we really had, a, I suppose, a real insight into how other people live and that we were so lucky to be 
at where we were. And, you know, I went, I just had a usual state education. I went to a quite yeah. challenging North London school, but I had a family that really cared for me. I had a roof over my head and, and we went on holidays and, you know, might be camping in the South of France, but I had all those kind of those opportunities. And um, yeah, so I really grew up from one aspect, learning about families who were fleeing, fleeing countries. And did you meet them? I mean, were they part of your life? Did you learn specifics about them? You know, because I I, I know in my household, had my mum been, you know, involved in any of this, we'd have learned everything, you know, warts <laughs> and all details. Were you sheltered from, from certain elements of this or, or was it kind of shared, you know, around dinner table or whatever? Yeah, no, I think we were, I think we were probably sheltered from a lot. I think because obviously now um, having conversations with my mum when I'm mm. older, there was some quite horrific things that had happened to these families in the past. But no, just in general, we, we did, we talked about specific children. I didn't actually meet any of them, but my mum would talk, you know, we'd, we'd hear about the families and the names and, and kind of the humorous stories and also the celebrations when they, you know, they they got a GCSE or, or you know, they had been accepted and been given asylum because lots of the children weren't and they had to go back with their families. So, yeah, was not not all the detail, but we we did discuss you know discuss that and and the other from my stepfather's point of view, the you know the children that he kind of supported, I suppose tried to prevent going into prison really, um, looking at gang culture and and supporting within. It was actually at my local second at my school that I went to that he mm-hmm. was the community police officer, and that had a real at the time there was um, you know an estate near my school with, with them you know quite. With, with gangs and that used to have them hanging around after school and kind of trying to entice the children at my school to, you know, to go into the gangs and there was lots of drugs and all that kind of stuff. So we did, yeah, we definitely talked about that. It was a very, I kind of grew up with very open, having a very open relationship with my parents and that they would, they, they're happy to talk about, you know, everything and anything, but obviously kind of protecting us to, to some point, but it's really interesting now because I am, um, I really look at my, my children now go to go to an international school. They go, they're in private education. And it's one thing that I, I had a tough time at school in lots of ways. You know, I, I achieved extremely high, you know, academic outcomes. I did really well, I had amazing teaching. However, the other, you know, the other children that I went to school with, they didn't necessarily, um, they hadn't necessarily all had the same background. There's lots of bullying. Yeah. It was one of those things where you were ashamed to do well. So you hid your talents or you you didn't want to get a certificate in assembly because that was just not cool. But through it all and through kind of my experience, I've learned so much. And I think it's really made me who I am. And now having my children in international schools, in the private school, I do feel they I don't it's like almost like that build, building resilience that you can't really teach. You've kind of got to live it. But then at the same time, I absolutely love that my children can be proud of who they are and can, you know, celebrate their kind of academic achievements and they're happy to. And I wish I had had that. But at the same time, I think I am who I am because I didn't have that. And I really, have yeah. to, you know, so it's it's a real. And I think the thing is with inclusion is that that still can happen here in, in international schools, in the private system. I, I very much believe, very passionate about the school should reflect society. And that at the end of the day, we're all, you know, the children, they're going to grow, they're going to become adults, going to the workplace and go and live in society. And that schools should really reflect that and that children yeah. should have a right to be in a mainstream and that actually you know, the, the children like, you know, that learn alongside a child that has complex needs, that they learn so much. There's like, there's a dual kind of learning from both sides and, and it's so important. That and I think that, you know, that that's a very kind of structured way of, of looking at it. But I'm guessing, you know, as you were growing up, 
there was so much less structure. I mean, we're talking, I'm going to guess, Lizzie, more than 20 years ago, potentially here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Or at least around 20 years ago. And during that period of time, there just wasn't the same understanding, I think, of different childhood needs and even the way that a, that a child's brain works or the way that they develop or the environment around them and how important that is. I suppose, was there ever a time when because of what you understood and you learned and you you could see around you that you were kind of tempted to to go down that road you know where non-academic temptations lay let's say or did it sort of put you off as you say did it help you to build that that resilience around some of those areas yeah no I, I was never tempted I think my um I was very clear on what was right and what was wrong. I think Mm. my parents were very, you know, I would never, I never did anything wrong. Like I could never skip a lesson or I'd never, ever smoke in the toilet, you know, toilets or anything like that. Whereas I saw that happen all the time. I had a very clear, this is okay. This is not okay. I was never kind of, I had a friendship group that were very similar to me. And I think that's, I suppose it goes down to my parents and my parents were huge, you know, respected education that that was so important to them none of them had gone to university straight from school I was the first person in my whole family to go to university straight from school but they they valued education so much and we had I had very yeah clear but I was you know yeah. brought up this is okay this is not okay and I was no I was never tempted I think potentially a little bit different from my brothers my middle brother potentially and I think I'm I suppose what I reflected on the type of child that probably would have succeeded in any school I was very motivated mm. um I wanted to whereas I think with private schools I think so someone like my brother who probably wasn't as motivated academically I don't think he did as well as he could have done if he'd been to a different type of school yeah. surrounded with yeah. different type of children but now I've, I've I was never kind of yeah I've, I didn't yeah, yeah, I was worried at all. Interesting. So, so, yeah. so that point really around that sort of mix of people at a school has already really stood you in pretty good stead. You know, as you kind of move through your uh, your school and your education, and and you move into university, and as you say, you know, you went, you did a chemistry degree. It was not your intention necessarily to get into an educational role at all. So, when you you know you left university, you had your degree. What was the next step? for you you know what drove you I suppose to move to Doncaster in the first place and and work in this I can't think of a more challenging educational role really um as you say sort of fourth generation unemployment and so on um a background that you weren't a part of yourself and that your parents had essentially warned you against (laughs) I know yeah it's, it's funny how things work out I was going to do a master's in chemistry I kind of thought that I might want to do a role in research but as I finished my third year of doing chemistry right at the end I was like you know what I, I chemistry as much as I love it it wasn't really a passion and I just it just felt wrong. My basically what happened was I wanted to stay at uni. I didn't want to work. Um, my housemate was doing a PGC and I just thought, you know what? I don't know what to do. I'll just go. I'll just do that for a year. So I kind of just did it to stay at university, really. And I did a PGCE and at Nottingham University, where I had gone been to, been at university. And then it kind of just fell into it because I um I worked at a school, a very a very lovely school in um in a nice village in Nottinghamshire, 
and I did my teaching practice there and then they offered me a full-time job to start in September I was always going to go back to London but then I was like okay well I've been offered a job brilliant I'll stay yeah and then um as soon as I started teaching I started teaching PSHE so sex and relationships education drugs education and I found a real like, I really enjoyed teaching that and I felt like it had a lot of impact with the children and looking at things like domestic violence and all that you know those types of topics and I kind of then went down that pathway and then I moved met my husband and he lived in Leeds so I was moving up to Leeds and I was looking at jobs like further you know in Yorkshire and this job at in Doncaster came up and it was um, a leader of kind of personal development looking at PSHE and developing that across the school and that was something that I I had kind of built a passion for still doing some chemistry teaching and so yeah I, I just went for it and, and ended up being in this a totally very different to my first school that I worked in yeah and it's where I learned the most and I think what really it was so tough so tough really challenging in, in, in what way I mean what was your you know what did your day-to-day look like at, at a school like that so teaching the top sets teaching a level absolutely brilliant easy really teaching chemistry yeah. however teaching the PSHE the middle sets the bottom sets the behavior we have panic buttons in our room so if you knew someone would come if something happens you know had huge boys fight fighting having to get into the middle of fights you know you have knives being brought into school drugs like it always feeling quite nervous occasionally about Mm. your own safety in certain aspects and yeah I suppose teaching learning to teach to manage behavior and to gain respect of the children working in schools like that is it's tough it's hard going but it teaches you so much about teaching and I found kind of had a bit of a knack for working with children that were challenging and then kind of went down the route of ended up with something called working in the house they had a a caretaker's house on the site that had been changed and we called it the house but it was where children whose behavior was so challenging that they couldn't Mm. be in the mainstream and they they worked out of the house so I used to teach in there all of these children and they were all wonderful children they just had such such hard stories and you just think how it's amazing they were where they were like with you know the background they came from and the, the the dysfunctional families that they were in the trauma that they'd seen and it just made you kind of just want to really help as much as you can to try and yeah. get them back on track and I think even if you save one child then you've done you know you've done something amazing that you know I saw lots of the children at the school go to prison yeah so yeah it was a challenging role but I I think I learned so much from that and, yeah. and you touched a little bit on you know, some of the, I guess what we would understand now around, let's call it diversity, but we're looking here at kind of socioeconomic status. We're looking at potential neurodivergence. We're looking mm-hmm. at potentially even physical disabilities, of course, those from a different racial and ethnic background. This is presumably a school where all of this is happening in one classroom. Yeah, not so much. I would say it wasn't necessarily as culturally diverse as it is out here however yeah. huge influence they had a huge Nep- Nepalese and Polish community and then British but it is more mixed actually out here but yeah very much the, the poverty the socioeconomic diversity was huge as well as well as um yeah neurodiversity lots of children with physical impairments and yeah it was hugely diverse but like I say I think it's it's something that really I don't know it just brings so much to a school and you just when you live 
this I mean this school sounds awful it wasn't awful at all yeah. actually the school now is is absolutely flying it went through a challenging time but what they are able to provide um, and the provision for those children is amazing and what they they can then go on to achieve is quite incredible and I do feel you know attending schools like those for, for other children you just you learn so much about difference and valuing difference and that everyone can bring something positive, but also about the world. The world isn't an easy place. And I think what my reflection kind of in international schools and private schools where everyone has a level of wealth, they do, of course Mm -hmm. they do. You don't fully appreciate what the world really is like. And I always think that with my own children, very much so, because I had a very different upbringing to them. They, um, you know, I feel like they, they can have whatever they want. Obviously, we don't give them whatever they want, but they don't appreciate what life is really like. And I think it's really important, you know, for adults, for children to to know that how the world works and the diversity of the world, especially moving into, you know, moving into the world now and looking at the problems that we have yeah. in the world. When you look at, you know, the wars that are happening and that, you know, the understanding, just being compassionate for different groups of people and, and having that empathy, a real kind of empathy of understanding of, you know, walking in someone else's shoes or understanding a perspective from someone else's point of view. Yeah. I think it's going to be key for the future and the children, you know, moving on into their careers as adults. It's going to be key that they really are able to reconcile difference and to see from a different perspective. So I think inclusion diversity is, is really important in schools. And I think, you know, when when we were chatting previously, you know, I kind of said to you at that point, I would have thought, given, you know, some of the challenges that you've seen within schools you know, as you say, kind of violence, difficulties, having to separate children out and so on, that you might have gone down much more of a mainstream route that is no doubt easier to teach, I would imagine. And your point around that was actually quite, quite different. Um, I just want to dig into that a little bit. You mentioned just then around the difference that people can bring into a classroom, that, that kids can bring into a classroom, actually benefiting everybody. What are some examples that you've seen of that working in practice? So within the Dubai schools and where we work here, diversity, like I say, from a wealth point of view, it isn't as diverse. It it can't be. However, the schools, um, the schools certainly that I've I've come from is is very inclusive from a needs perspective. And in terms of seeing the value of those different, I suppose, the neurodiversity and the value that that brings to a class is I've seen kind of the positive effects in multiple different ways for even just for my own children. So my son was, you know, in FS1 and FS2 with a child um, that had quite complex needs in terms of autism. And he, even from a very young age, would come home and say, oh, um, so-and-so, she's just, she's got a busy brain. Her brain's so busy. She, you know, this is what this is what this means for her. And the way that he would already, already describe and understand how people were different. And then he'd say he invited her to his birthday party. Oh, we need to make sure that um, it's not too loud, that the music's not too loud here because, you know, she's not going to, that's that's going to, it hurts her brain. But that kind of, from a, from a young age, that under the compassion that mm-hmm. it, you can't teach it you the children just have to live it and I think it's it's very it's infectious over time and even my well my son is um quite is quite severely dyslexic but he I think if he was at a you know a, a different school or in, in a different time he would probably be quite embarrassed by that and mm. I think he's you know he was reading and writing is really challenging for him and he can he's in year four now he, he sees that he knows that but he understands he's got dyslexia he's in a school where everyone is accepted and celebrated 
And he did. They did an assembly the other day talking about dyslexia. And there's six of them in the year who have got dyslexia. And they they did an assembly for the whole school saying, "This is me. I've got dyslexia. This is what that means for me. This is how you can help me." And he's not he's not embarrassed by it. He's proud yeah. of who he is. He celebrates that. And I think, and and every child benefits from that so all the other children that don't have dyslexia are listening going okay that oh that makes sense with Tommy and also oh don't tell him the answer too soon you, get, you need to give him time to work <laughs> things out so you just you their children just understand each other and, and they it is so much value it brings yeah. and I think one big concern for and I know for parents is that oh well the teachers then have to spend so much this more time is so yeah parents. this this was going to be yeah. my next question because I, I I completely see the value in it from yeah you know, a level of understanding perspective and also just from a child's behavior. I mean, presumably yeah. some of those children that you went to school with or even I went to school with or that you you taught probably had some of these issues that we now understand and were incredibly mm. frustrated and probably, you know, that, yeah. that played out in multiple different ways yeah. in and outside the classroom. So it's great, you know, as you say, that you can be open and honest about your abilities and what that brings for you and, and how other people can help you. But what about the challenges that then presents for a single teacher at the front of the classroom who has all of these different people sitting in front of them to accommodate for that and not to, you know, leave certain factions of the classroom out? From what I have seen, um, and certainly from the school that I'd previously worked in, the more kind of diverse the needs are in a school with work, does take work, the more excellent the teaching is. I think the teachers really have to, when when they're teaching a class that is kind of neurodiverse or has a more diversity from an inclusion perspective, you need to really think about the science of teaching and, and how you're teaching that class and how all the children are going to be able to interact and learn and make progress with your lesson. And when you have a child, it might be with autism or muscular dystrophy or whatever it might be, and you are adapting your lesson to so they can access it. The different things that you might put in place, whether it's more clear modeling, use of more visuals, kind of scaffolded work, scaffolded sentences, everything that you put in place actually benefits everyone else because there'll always be another child in that room who they might not have a diagnosis of anything mm. but actually just learn better through more visuals and, and it will support them the scaffolded sentences or whatever you know or what they've been using might you know might actually just for one lesson a child hasn't maybe they missed learning the ne- the last day they weren't in school and then they've got that resource and then they can access it again. But what teachers tend to do and they have to do it when, when they're teaching more diverse classes is really think about how children learn. And then they their activities are really devised thinking about the science of learning. And it, you, when you watch it in a classroom, it's like I always say it's like a piece of art, like watching them teach and meet the needs of all those children is incredible. But it only positively affects everyone else. So I think it does, of course, take a little bit more work but actually when you even when you teach an, an average class that didn't have you know profound needs in yeah it, you've got such a variety of different learning styles anyway you know we're so different as individuals it might be you know that people learn more through auditory that actually some children you know want to make and build things and they learn that way that actually yeah. teachers really should be different even if you had a class with not any profound needs and they should really be differentiating effectively for them anyway so I've never seen I, I, th- I can understand why parents might feel that it's taking time away from their children, having a child with more complex needs. But I've never actually seen evidence that it detrimentally affects the other children. From what I have ever seen, it only positively affects, um, yeah. affects the rest of the uh, Yeah. And as you say, not just from a an educational perspective, but from yeah. a personal and social development perspective as well. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly seen that with my kids. 
you know, the levels of just automatic acceptance around those from all sorts of different backgrounds with all sorts of different abilities has been quite astounding. And, and, you know, it's why I wanted to speak to you on this podcast about it, because as you say, it is so fundamental to understanding the world around you as you grow up. These things should not come as a surprise when you leave school at 16 or 18 or go to university or whatever it might be. This is reflective of society, essentially. Yeah. And and I think with them, I think there's lots of the kind of schools of thought now with education are definitely changing. And, you know, academic excellence, you know, that was used to be, I mean, 10, 15 years ago, schools, all they really were focused on is those GCSE grades, the A-level grades got to be, you know, outstanding academic, academic, academic. But actually, there's a real understanding now that actually emotional intelligence is so key Mm. to success, that holistic education is just as important as you know, looking at looking at the core subjects and academic outcomes and that actually children need to they need to have everything. Obviously, they, they need those academic outcomes to be excellent. But I actually think if you focus on holistic education, on a, on a well-rounded education where you're looking at learning skills, you kind of automatically end up as a byproduct excellent academic outcomes. So, yeah, I think it's lots of schools now and you'll find it across Dubai and you know, across the best schools, they are really focusing on well-being, you know, on developing compassion and empathy, just as much as they are focusing on on those academic outcomes. And then inclusion and diversity, that really supports that holistic education. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's the way the world sees education is changing for the better. Um, yeah. Sure. And as you say, you know, in terms of Cognita, I mean, you know, I, I can speak to this from a perspective of Asia, where we lived previously and now Southeast Asia and now here. It does take these things into account. And certainly it is tricky from a socioeconomic perspective when you live yes. somewhere like Dubai, where there is no alternative to private education for kids. But at least you're getting these other elements of, of inclusivity and difference in there. Could you just just to kind of help us to understand what Cognita does as a school group, how it perhaps differs from other school groups where this is concerned? So one of the core kind of guiding principles or like vision areas for Cognita is around is the importance of holistic education. It's uh, leadership um, and culture, but holistic education as well. And I think what Cognita does really well is I think needs to be really aware of the fact of the social economic kind of diversity it isn't there however it's so important that children where we can are exposed to differences across the world so for example Cognita in the Middle East we've partnered with the Sparkle Foundation um, which is a charity based in Malawi kind of it has its own school and nursery but it's um, what we're doing there is really we're partnering with the charity obviously fundraising to have an impact for them but also it's, it's really about kind of weaving that understanding of giving that global perspective for children in, into the curriculum and talking about you know opening their eyes to you know the world isn't just Dubai and you know where we live the world is huge and it's vast and there's so much difference there so very the approach really is very cross-curricular when you're looking at you know what are you reading you know what are they doing in English what are they reading there's a real kind of you know there's a real strategic decision about what books are being read and what the children are being exposed to and it is all around that kind of expanding global mindset looking at responsibility looking at social purpose kind of weaving that all into within the curriculum that we do teach so yes of course they're doing you know science maths and english but they're doing it through a lens of a moral humanist lens so they're yeah. kind of they're thinking about how this 
whatever they're doing might impact society from a, yeah. in, from a human point of view, but maybe from the environment point of view. So it's kind of just in, interweaved into what we do. But that's a real kind of purposeful decision by Cognita is that holistic education is one of the, you know, the one of the huge areas where schools are kind of held to account for. And well-being, again, is, is a part of that holistic education. And that's something that the schools push for the whole community, for their staff yeah. and uh, parents and children. Yeah, I mean, I've seen Luna, the the dog, walking oh, yeah. around, <laughs> who's obviously a part of that. She's she's yeah, gorgeous, exactly. and you know, I've I've also seen kids um, with, you know, quite profound physical disabilities, and their nurses, and I I, I know a mum who's in that position um, with with one of her children, and she just speaks glowingly about how inclusive the school is, and you know, all of the accommodations that are made on a daily basis to to ensure that that happens. I mean, obviously, these things are unfortunately not cheap. Catering for disabilities anywhere in the world is a challenge for any family, I think. But having that support internally at the school, I know makes a huge difference. And, and as I said, I've seen it in my kids and, and the way that they think and talk about others that are different to them. So I want to say a huge thank you really for everything that, that you guys do. I think it's eye-opening that this is happening in schools now around the world. I think it will make such a huge difference to the adults that these children grow into and the impact that they have as well. Is there anywhere that, that people can go and find out a little bit more about, about what you guys are doing or indeed about inclusive ed- education in, in general? And um, well, there's yeah. I mean, Cognita have to have their website. There's there's four schools: Ranches Primary School, Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai, Horizon English School, and Horizon International School. That all of those websites, well, they're, they're all the Cognita schools that we have in the Middle East currently. But in terms from an inclusive education perspective in the UAE, there isn't. I, I suppose there's not kind of one direct website that I would uh, lean to use. However, there's loads of different therapy centers and things like kids first inspire insights that people can reach out to if you if they wanted support for example but do you know what i find the most interesting is is using twitter and following um accounts on twitter if you know if there are parents there who do have children with scn and, and disabilities and that want support and different ideas then um i find twitter is is an amazing resource and it, it comes up with all all different types of from people from around the world and i think that's what I love about it, it connects people, doesn't it? But yeah, so uh, the four Cognita schools with the Cognita website, also their Twitter pages that, you know, that they have. Brilliant. Yeah. And that sounds like a great resource for anybody, uh, a good place to start. Thank yeah. you so much, Lizzie. It's been an absolute pleasure to learn a little bit more about your background and history and, and how you've landed up in this space and, and the, <laughs> the amazing work that you guys are doing. So thanks so much for sharing. And um, I'm sure yeah. I'll run into you in, to, in the uh, Parents Cafe soon. Yes, definitely. Thank you very much. Thanks, Helen. Thank you so much to Lizzie for all of those insights. I mean, what a fascinating journey. And it's so interesting when you start to dig into people's history, just how much um, their background has really impacted the choices that they make in their own careers and now the impact that they're having both in their own workplace and beyond as far as Lizzie's work is concerned. Thank you so much to Lizzie for being on the podcast this week. And um, as she said, you can check out Cognita Schools by heading over to their website um, and there's various resources there. 
attached to them via their Twitter account. And if you have a story around diversity and inclusion and what you're doing right now to make a difference in that space, we would love to hear from you. Head over to the website diversity.io. You can hit me up on LinkedIn, which is where I normally hang out from a social media perspective. Helen Maguire, and we'd love to hear from you and understand a bit more about your story. And until next time, see ya.